edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock, guiding leaders to higher ground. Learn more at MarketplaceRock.com. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and for the last number of weeks, we've been playing audio from the recent Strategic Philanthropy Global Summit that my partner, John Ramstead, helped lead. Today's speaker is Colorado-based entrepreneur, Stan Bullis. All right, welcome to day two of the Strategic Philanthropy Global Summit, and today we have Stan Bullis. Stan, welcome to the summit. Thank you. Now, a little introduction about Stan. Now, yesterday, you'll, you'll see on the screen here, we have Lance is back. Lance, an amazing interview yesterday about uniting your purpose and your calling to what you're doing in your life, uh, the teaching you just talked about on this emerging future and how we step into it. Lance graciously, uh, he's been working with Stan. You guys have an incredible relationship. And Stan has been a practitioner of everything that Lance has been teaching, and the results are just phenomenal. I can't wait for everybody to, to hear this. So thank you, Lance, for coming back on again today and doing this interview with Stan. Uh, and as everybody knows, because we want to put our money where our mouth is, 100% of the proceeds that we're making from this summit are going to two charities. One is Unbridled Axe, and the other one is Kiva Microloans. Now, Stan is the founder of Unbridled Axe. So before we jump into the interview, Stan, I'd love for you to just take a few minutes and really share about what Unbridled Axe is um, how it got started, and what, what's the results that it's having in people's lives? Sure. Um, well, it actually got started uh, when I was a kid, and, and my dad worked for uh, the State Department, and uh, we lived in a lot of different cultures and uh, where uh, things like women's rights weren't available, abuse was rampant. And as a child, 11 years old, I decided that, well, I wanted to make a difference and wanted to be a cycle breaker. So when I got into business and had a chance to start Unbridled Solutions, the for-profit, I had a chance to actually stand in the gap and, and uh, be a cycle breaker. And what that looks like is Unbridled Axe builds group homes for women and youth in crisis. Um, but we believe in the, in the structure and the context of uh, family fellowship. And so really what it is, is it's, it's a family and covenant relationships with three or four other people that uh, that live with us or live with, a, you know, the other host family. And we just do life together. Um, that, that's chores, that's Bible study, that's um, getting together and, and working with therapists to, to help launch people. And so uh, it's a launching pad. So the, the house that we live in, we call it the nest because it's a place where, where folks launch from. Uh, we also work in, in Uganda. We, uh, we, put, uh, we have a sewing school to launch uh, ladies in Uganda. Uh, we have a small transportation company in Uganda. And um, we do a lot of uh, women empowerment things uh, in, in Uganda and Africa. That's fantastic. Now, what, uh, now, you've shared with me some of the stories that come out of this. Uh, the women that, you know, they, they go into this community, into these relationships, and they're in a pretty broken place. Sure. Uh, what, what does it look like when somebody is actually leaving the nest and they're going back out in the world? Yeah, I think uh, them getting there, uh, for the most part, we're, we're finding people that are, are really hopeless. And so the general context of our initiation is, people that say, I'm afraid there's no hope left. And, um, you know, the stuff that Lance is teaching on Theory U is, is so relevant to Unbridled Acts because we'll, uh, we'll interview them and what we're trying to get is a sense of their destiny. So, for example, uh, Julie Miles, uh, if, if you want to go to unbridledacts.org or go to our website, I mean, our Facebook uh, page, Unbridled Acts, uh, Julie writes a, a blog every week of the things that we do at the house, but uh, Julie came to our house completely hopeless. And uh, in the process of the interview, we felt like uh, she had a destiny as a writer. And uh, she lived with us for three years. And towards the end of that uh, journey, uh, to answer your question, they start getting restless is the answer. It's like having a teenager all over again. And uh, towards the end of that uh, journey, we started uh, calling her up into her gifting of writer, being a writer. And uh, she began doing the blog post for Unbridled Acts, which actually turned into uh, an editing position in Unbridled Solutions. Uh, now she's, she's launched and, and she's one of our most valuable assets in the for-profit company as a writer and an editor and a storyteller. 
Man, what, what a beautiful story. And I love that, that concept of restlessness, right? As you're connecting to that value, that calling, that purpose, you want to manifest yeah. it. You want to bring it out in this world. Yeah. Now you go from a place of being sheltered to just wanting to start taking those steps forward. So, yeah. every, you know, uh, those listening, if you want to be a part of that, go to um, strategicphilanthropyglobalsummit.com. You can buy the VIP package. It's $97. 100% of that goes to Unbridled Axe and Kiva Microloans. Part of that, that we just want to really make this worth your time, uh, there's two live events coming up this year, Gen Y Ignite, which is going to be in Vegas, and the Strategic Philanthropy Summit. Uh, by just doing that upgrade, you're going to get tickets to, two tickets to each of those, uh, which is worth about $2,000. We're just going to give those to you as our way of also just saying thank you. So at this point, I would just love to turn it over to you, Lance, talking about theory you and uh, you know, Stan had initially uh, before we decided to do the, uh, have you interview Stan, the, the title of your talk, Stan was uh, building um, extraordinary cultures and in, in businesses. So, uh, but wherever you guys want to take this, I'm going to just leave it up to the Holy spirit to just, just guide your conversation here. Oh, lovely. Well, you know, Stan, it's good to see you again, my friend. <laughs> Likewise. And here's my question for you as I'm listening to you talk. Um, I don't know that everybody understands the fact that for you, philanthropy is not just something that you do with your money in order to be a good Christian. It's really part of your strategic design mm -hmm. of the business model you've got. And, um, in fact, you actually have a very specific, and I would say almost like a book of Genesis model. I think it's a merger of Joseph, who uh, became Pharaoh's dream interpreter, and ultimate curator of economic uh, flourishing, and uh, Abraham, who curated a tribe and territory and kept on expanding. You really do both, and the way that you do both is, is broken down in the numbers. I mean, you're a numbers guy, and that's kind of fun for an entrepreneur, because it's not just like, oh, I make a whole lot of money, I better do something nice, after all, I am a Christian, because you are a nice guy, and you know, got Christian values. What is the actual formula that you keep on working with that you think is replicable for any business? Sure. So uh, we call it the 20-20-60 model. And uh, I had the benefit of, of starting a business from scratch. And so uh, I could play around with the numbers quite a bit. And uh, it, was, uh, it was early on in my, uh, my conversion experience. And uh, so it was a time where I was really trying to do things differently. And one of those doing things differently was really leaning into scripture and trying to unlock what, what God said about business. And uh, the, the first place he took me, he took me to Habakkuk 2, 2, and 3. And, and that verse says, write down this revelation and make it plain on tablets so a herald may run with it. Uh, and it goes on to say, it speaks of the end. It will not delay. It'll certainly come. And so I, I found myself in this weird post-conversion experience going, well, what are you doing? And, and uh, you know, at a peak of faith where I actually believed that he was giving me some nuggets to write down that we're going to speak of end times um, and speak of a kingdom, an un unshakable kingdom. So, um, so I just submitted to this journey over the course of, of four to six months. It was a combination of uh, inspiration and repentance. <laughs> so it was a, it was a pretty interesting uh, time. Uh, but, but after that, the first place he took me was in Malachi and, uh, he took me into the tithes and offerings verse that everybody uh, is so familiar with in the Christian world. Um, and uh, I, I learned out of a study there that it's the only place in the Bible where he says, test me in this. And uh, what he's saying, test me is to bring the full tithe and offering into the storehouse uh, and that he would bless that and it would move in favor. And um, I mean, it sounds great today, but when you 20% of nothing is nothing. So I was right. desperate. I was desperate enough that I said, "Okay, uh, we're going to file these. We're going to start by by uh, giving our first 20% uh, to charity." And because of my upbringing and and uh, uh, and the background of of uh, sort of a, a abuse or around abuse and in foreign cultures, and um, I I always knew that I wanted to be a cycle breaker. So. Uh, when we started Unbridled Solutions, uh, we started the, the 501c3 on the same day, Unbridled Acts, and the idea was that the profits of one would serve the purpose of the other, uh, and it would be built into the, the, the first 20%, our first fruits. So 
Um, you know, we'll talk about it later, I'm sure, but the amount of favor that now seven companies that carry the unbridled brand move in uh, is a direct result of, of uh, allowing those first fruits to, to go for kingdom pur- purposes. I had, a, I had a lot of success early on, and uh, by the time I was 29, I was running a company, and, uh, uh, and we grew up from 12 to 250 million. This is pre-conversion experience. Uh, and I had a had an experience where the owner of that company was stealing cash flow, uh, and ultimately drove that company uh, out of business. Uh, and that's relevant in this next piece of the of the second twenty, um, where God took me to Genesis forty one, um, and that's the story of where one fifth was stored up. Uh, uh, in this case, within the kingdom, uh, in our case, within each of the companies, and so. The second 20% is we always keep 20% of the, the profits in the company, uh, and that survives our seven years of, of plenty and seven years of famine. And quite frankly, um, you know, we, we look at the seven years of famine cycles as opportunity to grow your empire, uh, because as other people are contracting, you're moving with incredible leverage. And when I say incredible leverage, you know, we're talking about, you know, multi-million dollar surpluses in cash uh, and no requirement from a bank. And so we can move and nimble and take territory because we were diligent in the, uh, in the 20% that stayed in the company. And the, the balance 60%, so it's 20, 20, 60. So the balance 60%, uh, we just divide up amongst the shareholders. And so each of the shareholders get a proportionate amount of their profits of the 60% based on how many shares they own in the company. Uh, in our particular case, my particular case, uh, we use that money as a, as a parable of the talents. We use that money to, to invest uh, in starting new businesses. And that's how we've gotten to seven businesses. And the goal would be that we would get to 100 businesses in the next 10 years uh, doing the 2020-60 model because, quite frankly, we're interested in trying to transform cities. So the 60% is divided among the shareholders, and that's what you use for your expansion into your new businesses? Correct. That's correct. But unusually, and this is where I want to go back to what makes you such an interesting specimen on these models, your new businesses are, um, for the most part, generated out of the people that are already with you. This isn't like, oh, look, there's a rent-a-car business and a dry cleaner in you know, Mumbai over here. I'll just right. buy them up. Um, you, you, you actually expand your opportunities by cultivating the garden and it's people that are in the garden, not just assets. Right. How do you do that? Uh, it's a, it actually comes from you, Lance, and, and Theory you. Um, you know, we, we actually believe uh, that everybody has a specific race marked out for them. And uh, the entire interview process then becomes this idea that we're trying to see or get a feel whether uh, we can uh, – help this person achieve their destiny or get them in the race that's marked out for them. Uh, so the entire, the entire corporate structure is modeled around, we hire people, not positions. And uh, engaging in the interview process, we try to have it open enough where we're unlocking these things with the idea that, um, are we called to co-create together? Are we better for being together? Um, and even if someone leaves, are they better? You know, we've got numerous situations where people have left our, our employment uh, for twice the money. And so, um, so, so we start by understanding who they are, uh, where, where their markers are in the future, where they want to go, and, and trying to decide together whether we're the right company that can get them there. Then what's interesting about that um, is in the theory you concept, um, once someone finds their identity and they take a step towards the future and the future takes the, the, the study saying the future wants to manifest today. Well, I would submit to all the business owners out there. There's no more productivity model that you could ever have than getting someone's future unlocked that wants to manifest today. So really what your brand becomes is a, um, a collection of behaviors and a collection of destinies where we're stewarding each other. Uh, and we can go into new territories that we never knew. So my, my, my case example, and I think where you're heading with this is uh, I had an assistant um, and my assistant and I uh, built out an office space and we built out a group home. And um, I knew early on that she had this incredible passion for intentionally crafted spaces. 
uh, last year, we had outgrown um, our existing, by the way, we're growing between 32 and 37% annual year over year. So uh, giving 20% away turns out it's actually a pretty good business model. But, uh, but the, she had this destiny of uh, intentionally crafted spaces and we bought a, a, a 20,000 square foot historic mansion and I looked at her and I said, Jesse, do you want to start a construction company together? And now, I mean, we didn't even know the first thing about construction, but I knew it was her destiny. And so we launched that uh, January 2015. Last year, they finished 30 projects. Um, they did uh, about a million six in revenue uh, and were, were profitable. And that's held true for all the other six extra companies that we've started under this model. But I don't want to I don't want to gloss over this too quickly because when you and I talk about it, it's familiar to us. But it took me three or four conversations with you right. to appreciate the fact that we're playing with the DNA of a God-given design. It's almost mm -hmm. like E equals MC squared. It's it's a physics formula, and we refer to theory U a lot. So let's explain what theory U is. Theory U is not YOU but U, and it refers to a dip. Uh, research comes out of um, uh, MIT which of all places at the Sloan Management School is discovering that there is a kind of a mysticism to working with the future. And uh, in some cases, it could just be, what's the highest and best possible future and how can we get there? You're here, you have to kind of open your heart, open your will, open your mind and go down into entertaining what wants to show up. And as you acclimate yourself to a place of receptivity, the future starts becoming clearer. The path to the highest and best becomes clearer. And this, you know, where it gets mystical is Jonas Salk is trying to discover the polio vaccine, and he goes down into some unconventional approaches and then says it looked to him like the solution was trying to manifest. It's as though the future wants to show up. Now, for those of us that come from a faith paradigm, it's called thy kingdom come. <laughs> and the kingdom comes to a businessman in business, to an artist in art, to a statesman in political clout. So uh, everyone wants to exegete how does the kingdom come or how do you cooperate with a future that wants to become manifest? Stan found that the future is in his employees who are really not even really employees. They're members of a family and he's curating a corporate destiny over the business and individual destinies over those that are participants in the um, in the company. So, so what's the latest discovery you've made? Have, have you had any new businesses lately that have come out of this process of discovering what's on the inside of your people? Sure. So, uh, let me give you a couple of proof of concepts. How's that uh, right now? That's what we want. So, uh, as I started tracking this over, we've been in business for 15 years. Um, in the last five years, these are the stats. And um, first, I want you to know that about 70% of our employees are millennials. Uh, millennials have a history of, of changing jobs every 18 months. Yet when we went back and looked at our employee turnover rate, uh, we have 92% employee retention. Uh, that's a five-year rolling average. So something about investing in the, the purpose-filled uh, millennials is keeping them around because we're unlocking their future. We're willing to go uh, on a journey with them. Uh, many of them are fatherless. And what we found is if you, if you just have the conversation, then they'll give you their heart and, and you get to craft a future for them with them, co-create together, uh, and they stay around. And we found, you know, we found that they're not lazy. Actually, they're, they're the opposite. They just need purpose, and they're incredibly hardworking and smart and creative and fast and, and all of these things, uh, and, and you want to keep them around. So that first, that first marker is that, uh, that we have 92% employee retention. Well, it doesn't take a, genius business, a, a business genius to figure out that if your people are happy and they're sticking around, your clients are happy. So we have 99% client retention, five-year rolling average. Um, and when you do that, uh, you don't have to have a, you don't have to be preoccupied with a giant sales organization because you only need to add a handful of customers every year. Uh, and we're growing, as I mentioned before, at an annualized rate of 32 to 37 percent. That's over the last five years. Uh, we're matching our 401k plan at 100 percent. Um, we have given you know between well over a million two into charity. And so I would submit that. Um, 
that unlocking people's destiny and co-creating together and being radically generous uh, is, is a great, great business model. I love that. And, you know, the, and the idea that, you're, uh, that you've tapped a code with millennials is very significant because a lot of people really don't know how to work with them. But you actually said something which is very powerful. And that is that if you're, um, that millennials are incredibly hardworking and smart and committed, providing they can link what they're doing to a greater purpose. Right. Because they're looking in a sense of abstractly for the ideal job. Right. And the ideal job can't just be a paycheck. It has to be a culture and a community, and it has to be um, a meaningfulness. Right. I hear a lot, um, I just want to know that I add value. I want to be a participant in, uh, in the solutions. Uh, what I've actually found, Lance, is uh, they have a keen eye to the inauthentic. Um, and it's so sharp that, um, that they want the information, good or bad, uh, and they're smart enough to decipher what's authentic and inauthentic. And I think that my gen, I'm 50, so my generation, uh, there's a lot of shame on how we made money and how we sold out to money. And, um, and I, I think that we're reluctant to talk to them. Um, and they're saying, give me the information. I can pick apart the authentic versus the inauthentic, but I need to know what's next. And I want to be engaged and I want to add value. Um, and if you can put them in a situation where they're adding value, uh, they'll stay a really long time. All right. Now, I want to make this uh, interview really pay off for the millennial, the entrepreneur, the startup, the frustrated person who's been doing this for five years and can't get something off the ground. And and I will probably have uh, already talked about um, – uh, I'm already thinking about the themes that we were working on yesterday that might tie in here. In convergence, you discover what it is that you're gifted to do. When did you have the aha that you were, uh, now you've told the story probably with other people about your dad. Yeah, Are you allowed yeah. to disclose what, what his profession was? He was? Yeah, my dad was, uh, uh, worked for the agent, the agency. <laughs> so We're talking about a government agent. Right, we're talking okay. about. This isn't a franchise business guy. This is a different kind of skill set, you would say, right? Right. I mean, we lived uh, a covert lifestyle. We lived uh uh, I spent six years in Africa, Sierra Leone, Liberia, on the front edge of a coup, Brazil, uh, South America. Um, so you're living, you're, your dad was Jason Bourne, and that, he wasn't running the, uh, the fried chicken franchise. Yeah. No, so, it wasn't there as attractive either. No, nearly, nearly, <laughs> nearly as much fun. But tell me, when did you discover that you were an entrepreneur? What's your earliest memory of saying, hey, I think I can do this, and it's kind of fun. I like this. Uh, well, I, it, it started when I was 15 or 16. And the, the interesting thing was, uh, it started out of what I call limiting beliefs. So uh, when you grow up in a covert lifestyle, uh, you begin to believe that you can make people think what you want them to think. And you begin to, uh, you know, put limiting beliefs like I'll outwork you and I'll outthink you. Uh, and I'll make you believe whatever you want about me. And so uh, from 16 to 29, I went from literally a dishwasher to the president of a company. Uh, no college education. Honestly, I faked it. I used all those things I grew up learning watching my dad. I faked it all the way to the top of a corporation. Um, and uh, I was miserable. Um, and it was, um, it, you know, Deuteronomy says, I've, give, I've given you the ability to create wealth. And so confirms my covenant. And so I think that when we talk to these millennials, the first thing I like to try to unlock is to get them to understand that they're people of incredible potential. But when your potential is misguided like mine was, uh, I wound up in affairs and drinking and racing cars. And because my crises were turning into destructive behavior cycles, I was self-medicating um, through just trying to, because um, I had faked it my whole life. And so this period that we talked about earlier when I had this conversion, all of a sudden the light bulb went on and I realized that I have a race marked out for me. And, and that's what this is so excited about this theory of you is that we all have this, this emergent future that wants to manifest in our life if we can get into the race that's marked out for us. So as a, so as a, as a business entrepreneur, I'm really interested in what race they're supposed to run. And if that race is anywhere, we call it a, a adjacent opportunity. If that race is anywhere close to what we're doing and their head and their heart are connected, uh, I want to be on that race for them. So 
I think it started right around when I was 16, learning that I was entrepreneurial, scratched my way to the top of a corporation, empty, hollow, um, all the things that you would hear of a typical fast rise to the top of a corporation, fall off the cliff, remember my vow as a cycle breaker, and then get to start it over in the race. And my race today is to teach people about these kingdom business principles. So in a sense, Lance, and, and, and the whole group that's listening to, you're part of my emerging future. You're, you're engaged in my emerging future because my job is to tell about these principles. And, that, and that's what excites me because I've got E equals MC squared, but you build a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I love working with the practitioners. Now, there is a difference between an entrepreneur um, working for someone else uh, and an entrepreneur running his own business. So what are the... What are the practical skills that no matter how spiritual or philanthropic or Don Quixote you are with your vision for life, there are some mundane realities. Like what are some skills that make you the $30 million guy and me the guy who's working with the blackboard all the time? What's the, what's the difference here? What are you doing? Well, I think, man, that's a loaded question, Lance. Uh, I, I think uh, it starts with this idea of legacy. Um, we don't really talk about legacy in, in, the, in the stock market in Wall Street anymore. Um, and so uh, it starts with if you're an entrepreneur building companies, uh, you ought to be thinking about the legacy that, that maybe what you're starting is supposed to out-survive you um, and, and start today putting, uh, you know, putting strategies in place that, that carry that legacy. So first and foremost, understand that that you're connected with people who also have a legacy and as a leader, your job is to steward them and stewarding them. And in, in our opinion means what's called servant hearted leadership. Um, and we do that by ripping down hierarchy within the corporate structure uh, and aligning ourselves in strategic work groups, which is nothing more than aligning uh, complementary destinies together. And so it's not be easy because, you know, human nature, especially you've got money, you're in business. Money is the cash flow of business. And so you have to have competing interests that are constantly having to choose between this is where I butter my bread in my business. And this is where I help you butter yours. And I mean, that, that factor has to be there. How do you do this? Well, actually it's not And here when you're, when you look at a, when you look at a person, I say they, their day divides up into these three things. The things that they love to do and could do forever, the things that maintain the status quo, and the things that they hate to do. Uh, in, the, in, in our business, in the idea of Thrive or, or, or Theory U is putting people in the positions that they love to do, that it's a natural, natural extension of who they are. Those are the things that wind them up maybe missing a lunch and not being upset about it, or they're in their flow, as you say, Lance. And so uh, when people are in their flow, um, then they produce incredible results. So the trick of the, the, the management team uh, is to complement someone who's in their flow with someone else's who has a, a different kind of flow, and together they make one or all parts of the body. And so uh, it's not as difficult as you think if you're willing to really invest in, in a, uh, uh, an authentic relationship with people and really understand what they're created to do and what gives them life. Um, and in our opinion, I mean, there's lots of basic business principles that people like cash is king. Our experience is if you get people in their flow, the profits take care of themselves. Okay. Well, that's, that, that sound, that sounds, uh, that sounds unusual to, to hear from someone that's actually doing it. But <laughs> yeah. uh, there's the proof in the pudding. So, but there are, there is a chance. I mean, like, you know, I want to tap into what's the greatest mistake you'd make, the greatest warning you'd give someone who wants to go into the, into the waters that you're charting yourself into, which is building out of the destinies of those that are with you, adjacent opportunities and new businesses, keep expanding, keep looking at what the gifts are in your people yeah. and see what the vision is in them. Yeah. Where's the danger? Where's the rocks we got to avoid in this vision? Wow. Um, there, there's two that really stand out. Um, one is this issue of transparency and authenticity. Um, you have to be keenly aware that um, you're talking to people about their destinies. You're opening up their mind and you're opening up their heart. And, and quite frankly, Lance, it's very serious. 
um, because you could launch people down the wrong road uh, into a life that's not destined for them. And um, so uh, it has to be hinged on authenticity. Um, second thing is, is um, you have to employ people that their head and their heart are connected. That's the number one thing we look at in interviews. I need to know that your mind and your heart are connected uh, because if they're not, um, our experience is that, that uh, deception can creep in. You open yourself up to manipulation. You, um, what, does a, that mean? what does that mean? You got that down. The head and heart connected. Uh, give me an example of where it's connected or where it's not connected. Sure. So, so, uh, so you connect with your heart, not your head. So, so your ability, we're in the service business, so the ability to relate and connect to other people is based on the disposition of your heart. So if you're coming out of a, a, a serious wounded background where, uh, where you're entirely closed off and you're continually trying to think your way through environments like I did in my early career, um, then they're very difficult to reach and you're subject to uh, um, a posture of, uh, I don't, sometimes it's overt manipulation and sometimes they don't even know they're trying to outthink what wants to manifest basically. Um, but in business you need people that, that can think too, because we're problem solvers. And so for me, it's gotta be both. You've got to be able to think and reason, uh, and use logic, but you also have to be able to feel and encounter and connect um, um, and that, that, that's sort of the big differentiator. And when you're unlocking those things, if you have a leadership that isn't authentic, um, you could wind up in a, in a hole really fast. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you have to be careful about partnerships early on, don't you? Because you have the least discerning when you're young. Right. And so you learn, you know, it's like the, like the old story is, you know, what's the secret to making money in your business? Well, it's experience. What's the secret to experience? Making lots of mistakes. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so how do you, so a lot of this comes out of the importance of starting off and making sure your partnerships at the highest level right. are sharing the same DNA with you, right? Right. So what kind of advice would you get people on, um, on, on that side, on the, the nature of partnerships at the beginning of this thing? Yeah, I think first is entering into that period of discovery that, that your partners realize um, that you're about to enter into an area where you're co-creating together. And that means that um, you're supposed to be better for being together. Um, and getting them, trying to figure out or have them understand that, that you're sharing a destiny, your paths are crossed for a reason, um, and it has to operate under, under some principles of transparency, authenticity, uh, lack of manipulation. Uh, one of my big things is fair margins. You know, um, we operate under, you know, under this idea that, that if your work's excellent, you're worth what you're paid for. So don't get into a war of, uh, of competing for margins. So we don't pick our vendors based on who's the lowest bidder. We best we fit our we, we we pick our vendors on the best profile that fits our organization structure. Uh, vendors that that um, we talk a lot about believing in the inherent goodness in people. So a lot of companies are the, the strategies are set up um, that they protect against sexual harassment or fraud or or these other things. We operate under this idea that given the tools and given vision, that people are actually more often than not going to do what's best and that they're, they're innately good. And so we wanna empower them and get them out and allow them to, to do good, which is what we expect from, from our vendors. And so uh, our vendors likewise have to have their head and heart connected. They have to have a, an, you know, uh, an appreciation for their surrounding environment. They can't solely be motivated by profit. Um, and, uh, and there should be culture alignment between their people and us. Well, that's very powerful. Um... If you were starting over again, and you were be, and you were advising someone who was beginning, um, the, the um, a lot of people you're talking about multiple businesses, which is interesting, right? right. But you really got to get your core business down right, don't you? Is it? Would you say that there's a little bit more time that goes into building the hub or the core business before you started spinning out these other ones? Like I'm trying to get a time frame on. Sure. How long was it before you started going? Aha! 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 We keep on multiplying. Look at this. Yeah. Uh, let me tell that story. So um, 
it actually uh, started, we started in 2001 and that was, there were two companies. There was the, the event management company on Brattled Solutions and the nonprofit uh, 501c3. Um, a few years later, uh, I had this idea. I looked at our balance sheet and said, man, we're buying $5 million a year versus worth of travel. Um, we could probably insource that uh, and make a little money and provide more money to the nonprofit. Um, so, uh, so two or three years in, we started Unbridled Travel. That was the second company that came on board. Then really for the next uh, seven years, uh, we were focusing, to your perspective, we were focusing on building uh, the, the core brand of Unbridled Solutions. Uh, and along the way, we discovered we needed to do things like put a stake in the ground on our culture, like uh, who are we and what do we do? And, um, and we decided back then that we didn't want to be just lumped into the, 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 the event management space, that we wanted to actually be known for our character and our community and our, um, our credibility and our, our ability to change. And, and so our, our corporate culture was structured around behavior characteristics. We call them ways of being. Um, and so that, that came in around, uh, you know, year five or six. Uh, and it took a long time, quite frankly, it took a long time for me to, uh, get authentic. <laughs> and so it took the next five years for me to get authentic. And what I mean by authentic Lance is, um, for the first probably seven years, I operated the for-profit was over here in this hand and the nonprofit was over here in this hand. And so I would come into work and drink bourbon and I'd go home and pray with the people in our house. Right. And, and so I was living in these parallel universes, which was by nature inauthentic. Right. And so along the way, um, God had to erase that line and said, there's not, there's not a difference between the secular and the sacred. Um, and and uh, the principles are the same. And so we started adapting these uh, kingdom business principles, but using world language here in business. And that, that wrapped into our culture. So uh, it was about year 10 when uh, I started realizing that, that we were onto something on this destiny. It was kind of, I started listening to you and, and uh, realizing that actually maybe we were stewarding destinies. Uh, so I went back and took that model of the travel agency and I went back and I looked at our balance sheet and I said, well, we're buying a million dollars worth of corporate gifts. Let's, uh, let's start a corporate gift company. And we'd start a corporate gift company. And then I started realizing this whole destiny thing. I started interviewing people for people that might have a, 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 a destiny of intentionally gifting, for example. And I found two. So I gave them equity in that new company uh, and split that company into a new LLC, established it as a 2020-60 company. Uh, and then it began to get successful. So now I'm three companies in. So I go back to the, the business performer and I go, we're spending, I don't know, $2 million a year outsourcing videos. Uh, this was a great story because I had an employee come to me in 2014 and say, I want to create videos. And I told him no. And at the end of 2014, he came back to me and said, I made you $100,000 last year moonlighting videos. Can I please start a video company now? And so we started a video company at the beginning of 2015. Uh, and they've got 60 video projects. Again, splitting equity, multiplying by dividing, looking at my balance sheet. Um, so the big, the big jump for us, Lance, from there um, was, uh, was going into the construction business, going into a business that we didn't know anything about. That was sort of the proof that this thing about unlocking destinies is, uh, uh, is critical in the context of a, a corporate culture uh, that operates in authenticity. So. Uh, ten years just to answer your question. In 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 the last uh, in the last uh, five years, we've launched five new companies, uh, and I've got three that I'm working on now uh, that came out of the Shark Tank uh, that we did in December at the Broadmoor. Um, one is an application, so an app. Uh, another's a, a um, uh, it's like the Dollar Shave Club for colleges, college students, uh, and so. We're investing in those out of the 60% proceeds and, and we're investing them with cash up front uh, so that we're keeping our leverage low uh, and it's working. Wow. You know, 
there's so many fascinating pieces of this. One of your goals is to build a uh, hundred companies that'll be unbridled companies like that. Or how would you describe that? Yeah, I think that. So if I, if, if you, if you believe in the idea of destiny and you're, and you're putting this in business, you better know what your destiny is, right? Right. So, so it's a good, good spot to start. So I believe that my destiny is that I'm a man, a regular guy amongst Kings teaching kingdom business principles. And that uh, as a practitioner, he's been really careful to focus me that I am a practitioner first and foremost, and that we're builders of restorative communities. So um, the idea of 100 companies in 10 years uh, came out of that we've got this proof of concept, and there's nothing really stopping us from continuing to stand up new businesses. So I believe that uh, in the context of launching 100 companies in the next 10 years, uh, I'm achieving my destiny that that future wants to emerge today. Um, I think that it not, won't necessarily be unbridled companies. It'll be other people that have uh, ideas that want to begin their own companies and want to model themselves after this model or want to try it with me. Um, because really, uh, you know, we could just be lucky at seven companies but if you create a case study of 100 companies, now, now get this, um, none of the emerging companies have failed. They've all succeeded. And, and so, uh, you know, when you think of tech startups or Daystar or these, these uh, entrepreneurial groups where they're, they, you know, 6% hit ratio is what they want. We're talking about 100% ratios right now. And so there's something inherent in this business model. Uh, that I want to evangelize and try to be part of launching 100 companies. And if we can get 100 companies with different leadership styles and, and with the same principles, well, we might actually be able to transform a city. And if we could transform a city, then we could take a whole different look at the country. Yeah, interesting dream, isn't it? That if you, can, um, if you can partner up with other companies that have the same culture, mm -hmm then you can even find theory you would be what's the future that wants to show up right. that is in proximity to the people that are playing the game. Right. Now right. If they're in proximity to a city, there might be opportunities that, you know, for a person of faith, the doors that open, and this would be what the Bible calls treasures of darkness in Isaiah 45, which means something that's really brilliant hidden until the right person can open up the vault. Right. Right. Um, one of the one of the most the, the biggest epiphanies I had just recently was, if it's true, so we're a hundred employees. If we're if we're cultivating a hundred destinies, and those destinies are co-laboring together to cultivate each other, um, and every each one of those people has an emergent future that wants to manifest, but by default the greater organization, the unbridled companies must also have their own emergent future. So we actually have to hold the company loose enough. It's tricky to, to allow it to go where it wants to go. Does that make sense? Oh, no, it's very scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's scary. So, you know, but it's, but it's, uh, it's very powerful because of that. And, and, and I think there's something we should clarify here that there are times when uh, you have to say no to the idea mm -hmm. that someone has as a dream and a destiny and a vision, it's in their heart and they want to do it. And somehow, like the Bible says, the king's, hand, king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it with us wherever he will. Yeah. There has to be a culture that says, don't be, as a millennial, don't be frustrated. If you've got the bees, knees, ideas on video stuff, one of the things your guy did in that story you told was he created his own proof of concept to bring the argument back. And I'll tell you something as an observer, Stan, yeah. I've interviewed some of your employees and partners, and this, is, uh, this has happened on more than one occasion where they have clarity that this is the future. You might not, right. but they know that you're not beyond convincing, but you're not a soft touch for a business launch either, are you? No, no. Uh, it's a great. It's one of my most uh, proud moments when – I mean, it's an incredible thing when you realize that your culture is stronger than your inability to see the future. <laughs> <laughs> the collective perception of the organization is smarter than you. Right. So here's a guy that I tell him, no, I have great reasons. My reasons were, hey, camera technology's come so far. Anyone, anyone that with a, with a three grand can shoot a great video. 
And I had all the answers. And, and he, when he came back at the end of 14, well, he, he said, He showed you the money. Yeah, he said, <laughs> oh, he said, stay in the secrets in the editing and the storytelling, not the, not the, oh. and, uh, and he showed me and, and, uh, and what they're doing, I mean, they were at, to give you an idea, they were at the Grammys this week or, or um, last month. They, they're shooting things for, um, Red Robin, Chipotle. I mean, it's not, we're not talking about the kind of videos that are sort of backroom that you see on a nonprofit website. We're talking about the kind of videos that, that actually make money. And let, let me offer people something. This would be, you can always edit this out later on if you don't like the idea, Stan. We're, we're always spontaneous. But we got a chance to work together with one corporate client. It was a lot of fun. It was very interesting. So we got to go into how to create the culture right. of an organization that thrives. Right. This company, you know, in this case, it doesn't operate with a 20% uh, generosity philanthropic model. They're, they're, they're a pretty serious, you know, typical, uh, you know, um, Fortune 500 type enterprise. But what I think you and I can do that would be interesting is there are people that are, that are entrepreneurs, startups watching this, but I'm going to suggest there are also people that might be uh, in a one to five million dollar zone or five to ten or like we have friends of ours that are in the hundred million dollar zone. Right. They would all benefit by having um, maybe having us discuss at some point and we could do this with them maybe if we could fit it in how to create a culture that thrives. You don't have to start off with the 202060 model. Right. You get the benefit of, of unbridled discoveries. Right. Uh, man, I, I'd love to do that as, as this or as an extension. Um, again, that's my destiny, right? Um, there's a, it's difficult. It's a difficult transition to get your head around hiring people, not positions uh, and, and, and unlocking those. It takes a, an incredibly secure senior leadership team because you don't really even put job, job descriptions together or, uh, or titles together for these and in hierarchies, the reporting structures get complicated. Um, but what you do, you know, you and I've talked a lot about, we call it wheels inside of wheels. What you do is you, you create a company that is so hard to penetrate because they can't, they can't see where the head is. And uh, so, for example, with Unbridled and events, when we're working with uh, a client, we're, we're writing their videos now. We're producing their videos. We're producing their stage sets. We're managing their events. We're doing their travel. We're doing their finance. We're creating content. It's so difficult for someone to unwind us. Um, and because each of these divisions have their own leaders, um, it's difficult really to understand where to even unplug it. So when a competitor tries to come in, their barrier of entry is very complicated and very cloudy. Um, and unless you're going to go out, you know, for a giant RFP and, and reinvent the wheel, your, your security with your customers is pretty strong. And then when your employees never turn over. So it's something I, I'm really passionate about. I think we should talk about a lot. I'm already getting an idea right now. I just wrote it down. I'm going to talk to you when we get out of this interview. I think there's a, there's a future waiting to become manifest. <laughs> yeah. And so, so uh, you know, one of the things that I'm learning, uh, there's, a, there's a guy that does uh, wealth management. Uh, he's out of, uh, his name's Joe Pantoza. He's out of uh, um, Las Vegas. And I was meeting with him last week. We're talking about uh, starting a wealth management company here. Not like you would think. Uh, one of the things that prevents this from happening is the available of cash flow or resource. Right. Um, and so, uh, so we're talking about creating a wealth management company as a way to uh, add resourcing so that we don't have to go to banks. Most banks say, I won't loan you uh, any money unless you've been in business for three years. You got to have three years of income statements. Well, if you're trying to start a business, who's got three years of income? So, um, so out of that, where I was going with that, the, 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 the position with Joe is I don't want you to take your existing company and turn it into a 202060 company. I want you to start a new company with me, make it a, we'll each kick in, I don't know, hundred thousand dollars. We'll, we'll start a new company. It'll be a 202060 company. And I'm so confident that you're going to be pleased with the results that with that proof of concept, you're going to go back and change your old company. And so as we're, as we're talking about, launching these hundred companies, uh, I've got it down to a, a, a reasonable roar that I'm not asking people to change everything. What I'm really asking them to do is uh, carve out 
fifty to a hundred thousand dollars, find a young entrepreneur with some upstart potential in their organization, and uh, sow seed into their destiny, into their vision, and and then watch it and see if the principles hold true. And uh, as it grows, then that will be your own proof of concept that you should actually go back and do it to your company. And so, I, I would I would add just one thought that's uh, just coming to me strongly, and that is I will turn the you know there's an interesting verse in the Bible about latter end economic tensions, latter end shaking in the world. It says, I will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and children to their fathers. I think that there are founding fathers that are metaphorically, they aren't your your genetic dad, but they are the fathers of ideas and the fathers of industries and the fathers of movements and the fathers of civics. And uh, one of the things I suggest is that you're really a founding father in the sector of entrepreneurial philanthropy. Mm-hmm. which is why it's so great to be working with John Ranstead and a great guy like that with his vision. And uh, I, I go one step further and say that I'll bet you there, and this is a word we should give, if there are men or women whose children are not connected to their present business uh, and who there's a desire to see their legacy, their children flourish, if, we, if they approach us, if, if we work with people like that and say let's suspend trying to force a connection between what you do and what they do right now. Right. Let's look organically. What's the passion, vision, and talent in them? And what's the dream that is in them? And how can we help cultivate that so that they can become a thriving, young, contributing professional? Right. And we can see where that takes us. Because I'll tell you something. You've influenced me. And I actually sat down and practiced your business model with my own family. And I found that there was a niche in my company, my media company, where my son actually thrives. But it required me adjusting my model of what I want to do to looking at what he naturally is gifted and called to do and then inviting him into my world to see if there was a link and a link started to form. It's because I stopped trying to fit him into my model and focused on what's he gifted and called to do and ask theory you, ask the universe, yeah. show me, does that connect to anything I'm doing? And boom, I saw the link. Yeah. Hey, I got a cool story for you uh, along those lines. So uh, I get on a plane, uh, this was in February, and uh, I, I uh, get upgraded, which is always nice, right? And, uh, but I'm tired, I'm coming off the road. Actually, you know, I think it was on the way back from with you uh, in the Dominican Republic. And... Uh, I get on the plane, I get upgraded, and I just want to put my headset on and not talk to this guy. But I, I just believe in being kind to people. So I come up, hey, I'm Stan. His name's Oren. Uh, we sit down. I order Jack and Coke. Uh, and uh, he, he follows suit. So I thought that was interesting. So, you know, out of that, I'm like, those, you know, it's bourbon commonality, right? So, so uh, yeah, you know, I ask him what he does. And he says, well, I'm a broadcast producer. And uh, so we fly for the next two hours, and, and there is an, a silent moment where we've connected, heart-to-heart conversation, family, what do you do, how's this happen? And I realize this guy's, this guy's head and his heart's connected. He's in alignment with our destiny. And uh, he, on the way off the plane, he says, I, gotta, I don't know what it is, but I got to work for you. And uh, so I give him uh, someone to call. About three weeks later, he'd worked his way through the interview process without me knowing. I interview everyone that starts with the company. I'm the last interview, and my interview is about culture and heart. So we sit down, we talk. Um, Now, I don't have a role for a broadcast guy. We produce live shows, not broadcast shows. Uh, But he's here. He's an executive producer. Second day on the job. Second day on the job calls with their foodborne illness thing that they've done a great job of of, – uh, getting that right. Hey, we need to do a broadcast series to 471 locations, uh, live broadcast uh, four weeks from now. Can you do it? Sure. I've got the guy. Never even knew he existed until one day on a plane I talked to a guy. Now, broadcast is a part of our core functionality, and we've added broadcast to live events. And we did uh, we did one of the largest privately uh, – uh, streamed broadcasts uh, in corporate history, 66,000 people in four weeks with a guy I'd never met before. And so you would say that what I refer to as uh, divine appointments, yeah. that when you're on purpose, in convergence, doing what you're created to do, yeah. 
your vocation meets this unique vibe where the future becomes attracted to you yeah. by unusual coincidences. And you have to be awake and alert to the fact that something is surrounding you all the time to expand your legacy vision and, and, and calling. Right. And it's the idea that, that as an entrepreneur, your company might have its own manifest destiny. And it's your job to be that same theory, to be open-minded, open-willed, open-hearted enough, transparent, authentic enough to, to allow it to gently move where it wants to move. Yeah, and I think, and I think if there's one, one caveat here that we can close on is that in my research with the CEOs, the one characteristic that distinguishes a $100 million CEO from the $20 million entrepreneur one particular data point, it's called the deference scale. Yeah. Deference scale reveals how much ego attachment you have to being right. Right. <laughs> and oddly enough, in order to get on off the ground, a lot of our young millennials or first-time business people have to have very low deference, meaning they have a high degree of confidence. They're right. They can beat the odds. They're in Las Vegas. One, you know, four out of five companies will fail. Mine won't. Here's why. So they build up this great capacity to be, in a sense, strong on their vision and overcoming the opposition. Somewhere around 15 to 20 million, it's like where the data points are, yeah. that gets in the way because the business is more demanding, competitive, and complicated than when it was operating out of your house or your garage. And now you need a team right. that's giving you input. The data says the guys with $100 million companies have a 50% deference scale, which means half the time, they overrule because their gut intuition or their experience says it's not timing or it's not right yet, something doesn't fit. But half the time they're persuaded by the reality of what wants to show up and the arguments of those that are around them. So I think you embody that yeah. that uncompromising, uh, no, I don't think this is the right time ability yeah. with the openness to say, hey, maybe the guy I'm sitting next to is a divine appointment. But it's not all one way or the other, is it? Right, nope. It's uh, we call it living in the tension <laughs> and, and you've got, and you've got to live in that tension. Wow. The tension being the tension being uh, the ego state of the entrepreneur, uh, the uh, desire for independent independence uh, and being empowered for the, for the next gen leader. Um, and uh, when you both feel like you're right, uh, and actually, we actually celebrate living in the tension uh, because it's when some of the greatest work gets done. Superb. So with, with this closing thought, you've, what theory you talks about is that you've gone from building an ecosystem to an ecosystem. Right. Where you have a culture that shares the celebration of input from all parties and the ownership of what's important out of the corporation, everyone kind of all hands to the pump. And people aren't living selfishly for their own department's pursuit, which is endemic, by the way, in corporate culture. And it's the reason why some companies can't thrive. That's right. That's right. John Ramstead, do you have any thoughts on all this while you're listening in? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, both of you two, I took pages of notes on my <laughs> yellow pad here. In, you know, as you're talking, I'm reflecting back on uh, my whole business career and the number of startups that I've done and places that I've done well and, you know, succeeded in places where I've been, you know, some of the places you talked about, Stan, and the places where things have really gone well and I've grown and we've had impact and it's, you know what, it's been almost, it's been hard, but it's almost been easy. Do you know what I mean? Because you're doing what you were meant to do. You're working in your strengths. And I would encourage everybody take this interview right here with Lance and Stan, go back through this. There's so many nuggets uh, I mean, there's so many things I circled on my sheet uh, as a summary, but uh, if you take what you learned today and you apply it, this, don't let this just be an interesting interview that got you flowing, got your juices up, uh, got you excited. Go back and, and take notes and apply this in what you're doing. Reach out to other people that can help you do this. Get in community. And I would love to throw out to you guys because uh, my work in cultures as a, an executive coach and working with companies is all about culture. And I would love to do a follow-up with everybody who is part of this summit 
and do a webinar with the three of us and just do some teaching on how to create this culture and connect them to what you're doing, Lance, with 7M and what you're doing at Unbridled and, and just keep this conversation going because this is uh, an area of work in your life with application, both with purpose and culture that can just bear in, eternal fruit, right? You talked about legacy. And, you know, because – I've shared with you guys when I had my accident four years ago and they didn't think I was going to survive. And there was a point where uh, it looked like it was going to be my funeral in just a couple of days. And they were sharing this with me. I was aware of it. And I was thinking from an inheritance standpoint, Stan, that, you know, my family was going to be fine insurance and what we'd save. But from a legacy standpoint, I started thinking about what have I left in my wife, in my kids, in my, in the world around me. And that is actually where I really had a moment that I, I was not, I was not at all pleased or happy with what that legacy would have been. Mm-hmm. And I've now spent the last four years of my life living a different way, being a different person so that that legacy someday when I'm gone is going to be something I'm really excited about. And that, that is that every day I had this incredible second chance. Mm-hmm. I would just argue that every day, every one of us listening, uh, you have your second chance. Yeah. There's a chance at that second chance. So it's uh any final thoughts, either one of you two here before we, we, uh, we close well, up? Yeah, I've, I've got Go ahead, one. Dan. Well, I've got one, and it's just a practical example. Um, <clears throat> uh, coming out of that conference in December, I met a young man, um, songwriter, uh, gifted destiny to be in music. Now, we don't do the first thing about music, um, but um, I felt like I had a, a picture of his destiny. And uh, I'll introduce you to him. He's right here. Uh, Kyle Kempers is his name. And uh, I think the example there is, you know, I met with Kyle and he's getting paid a whopping $10 an hour. Um, and what he's doing is he's scrubbing down the, the historic wood from a mansion that we bought from 1892 because I felt like my contribution towards destiny was to get him to take care of the little things because his future is so bright that I had a role in teaching them how to be diligent with the small things. And so this is an example of fathers and sons and sons and fathers who can see destiny in people and go, I think I have something to contribute to you. And he's like, I think I can learn something from you. And it's not even where he's going to land. He's going to land in music and song. And, and uh, you'll hear his name all over, all over the country. I'm, I'm positive of that. And, uh, but you bring him along with you for the journey. And uh, that's, that's, that was how I would part. That's what it looks like. That's, uh, that's theory you with skin on it right there. That's awesome. How about you, Lance? Well, you know, it's funny because I was going to say that this comment that Stan made that really resonated that I wrote down is everybody has a grace. And I wanted to focus on that, but he just modeled it beautifully. That every individual listening has a unique grace. God has gifted you with a unique talent or an ability uh, a unique set of gifts that you don't have to obsess with um, how to create your future. The beauty is that God actually, in our, our paradigm, you're here very practical business guys here. Our paradigm is there's a future that actually wants to become manifest. You don't have to go out and create it in stone. It, the marble is coming to you. Your, uh, your greatest challenge is in recognizing that there are, there are uh, what you're seeing there with Stan is um, – what was it from Karate Kid where uh, they wax were, on, wax off? What was his name? Mr. Moji? Mr. Like Miyagi. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. And Mr. Miyagi is life. Sometimes life gives you a, a routine that has you doing something which you feel is not what you're ultimately gifted to do. But I would say that what God's role is, is to form your character mm-hmm. and your competencies. And sometimes in order to do that, you have to be diligent in waxing on, waxing off, painting up, painting down, so that when you go into the arena with the battle of your, of your real calling, you've got the instincts and the skills. So that young man is learning something about patience, diligence, and, and uh, the power of specificity. Mm-hmm. God is grooming into him like David playing with a slingshot. The slingshot only got him in proximity to a giant. It was the calling on his life to take down giants that was the big picture. So I encourage everyone, don't give up on yourself and don't give up on your future because you're not seeing things work out, but be, uh, rather be diligent to discover what you're good at, get clear on what your passion is, and then surrender yourself to the process because 
the life will put you in proximity to the mentors and the opportunities in it like a cork. You can't keep it down. Eventually, you're going to pop up and you'll find that there's a, there's a brighter future for you. If you keep listening to the voice that got you to this broadcast, it will get you to the next missing piece. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys both. And I would just encourage everybody to find those things that you love to do. Live in that flow that Stan talked about. Be authentic and have relationships in your life to help really bring that out in a powerful way, like the examples you heard from both Stan and Lance today. So thank you from everybody here putting on the summit. Thank you both. That was just fantastic. This is one that I'm going to be going back through and I'm going to be having my whole team make sure they're taking notes and we're going to be talking about this uh, the next time our team gets together. So thank you guys very much. If you'd like to learn more about Stan, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 119. That's eternalleadership.com slash 119 and you'll see links and more in our show notes. eternalleadership.com slash 119. As I said at the top, this edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Marketplace Rock. Is there something that feels like it's blocking your business? The team at Marketplace Rock partners with you in unearthing those things that could be holding you back through intercessory prayer. John and I can't recommend the team at Marketplace Rock highly enough. In fact, our phone calls with them are the highlight of our week. Visit them online marketplacerock.com or listen to either of Amy Everett's past interviews with us episodes 4 and 66 marketplacerock.com for John Ramstead I'm Steve Ryder and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership <laughs>